Welcome back to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. Bart, welcome back to the show. You're looking fantastic as ever. You got the, well, you, I missed the ponytail. <laughs> no, there was no ponytail, but it was longer, yeah, but it's gone. I had enough of it. So, Did you, did you have a man bun or did you just have like a midlife crisis where you like got to shave it off? <laughs> it's the Kennedy no. assassination. That's what's been going on. The Kennedy assassination finally got, it beat you down. After like a year, I think, I mean, I've been in a year at this point, you've been in it way longer than me and everybody else that's been spending 60. It's like if you don't spend just one year in it, you end up spending your whole life in it. And that's a very dark route. I've met some people that just seemed like all the happiness was sucked out, but that's okay. It's just, it's a historical event. It's uh, it's up to, <clears throat> it's up to that particular individual to, uh, to do what you just described. It differs. I basically... Uh, my input with uh, DD Plaza UK has been uh, diminished to almost very little, or, or close to nothing now. Whereas I organized a lot of stuff there. I'm still running the website for another year, and then I'm going to hand that over as well. And um, I don't know if I'm going to stay on researching or whatsoever because uh, things have changed and things have been so intense over the last couple of years. And I'm getting also to a point of completion on the particular subject that I'm dealing with, which is basically Oswald's last 40, 48 hours, give or take. Um, I'm getting to a point where, you know, I've, I've done enough on that, on that part. And, uh, you know, I want to get a break from it as well. Cause I've, I have been, Started reading books like what, 12, 15 years ago. I did it more 30 years ago as well, but I dropped the whole subject for more than 10 or 12 years. And then I got back into it and uh, started reading some books. And um, and I left, I left social media and I started reading books instead. And then, um, you know, just been doing it for so long. You get to a point where you're going, all right, you know. And now I get a sort of a sense of completion with, uh, with writing this book. Book, which wasn't the plan at all. It was only thanks to Malcolm Blunt basically saying you should do a book. And that I basically merged, been merging the four papers together as such, which has been quite a task. And then on top of that, I had to write a few more things, which I thought oh, that's important that needs to be in there. So uh, that's uh, what we're talking about today is uh, well, before Oswald's you... fingerprints. Yeah, before, before, before you give up on the whole JFK thing or you just retire the whole mantle piece, um, we've done four podcasts together. I think this is the fourth one, um, two, two joint conversations, and then we've had many conversations off air as well, too. It's not just recorded stuff. I appreciate your work. You're the reason that I ask for a lot of evidence on things as well, too, and I, I'm now trying to go back through a lot of things and see what can I back up with more than just one source. Where do I get the source? comes from some sources i would consider reliable the issue that i'm having is that if in my belief that when it comes to the forensic evidence and it comes to a lot of evidence in the case it's a danger because the way i view it would be that i think it's the government's kind of issue and if you're asking to just rely on the evidence i would talk about who can manipulate the evidence which i would say would be cia fbi certain things that should have been investigated that obviously weren't issues that have never been pursued such as like the traficante and the jack ruby scenario now 
that wasn't really pursued by any police investigations. It was talked about in the HSCA and things of that sort. So then there's a problem where I have to rely on witnesses. And then when you rely on witnesses, obviously those accounts can vary. And then we only have certain statements. But the main point of all that is before you give up the mantelpiece, for the love of God, get Malcolm Blunt on my show. I got to talk to that man. He's done so much work. And he, I mean, I've, I've looked through so much of his archive stuff that you sent me where I'm like, that's a historical figure right there to me. Right. Well, let me tell you this then. I was, <laughs> I met Malcolm uh, just over a week ago because I picked up some bags, the final set of bags of documents that I had to scan in. And uh, we were supposed to do a video, but neither of us felt the need or the urge to do one. So we just sat there and we just talked. And uh, uh, he himself as well, he's going to, I wouldn't say fully retire, but he's going to take a step back in activities. That's that's what it is going to look like. The last thing that he did was on John Newman on Popoff's Mall. Um, I don't know what's going to happen next. Um, so he'll you probably assist me with like the a, book. Do you just need a young, fresh energy to pop in the room and bring you guys up a little bit? No, it's a more a matter of... Uh, no, it's more the fact of completion. It's like, unless I find a new source of new materials. I mean, this is the thing. I mean, I could have finished my work two years ago, or three years ago even, and um, kept it at that. But because I had the opportunity to go through Malcolm's archive till the very last folder, and at first that wasn't possible, and then it all changed. And then it's like, okay, then you got COVID lockdowns and all that. So we weren't able to get stuff. But I said to myself, I'll wait with releasing my material until I've gone through all of his archive, which I did. And then now, even now, what I get now, this is a lot of uh, spook stuff uh, because that's his main interest uh, these days. And um, so there's a lot of documentation on uh, Oswald and Russia. CIA, Soviet Russian division, uh, a lot of the Department of State, Richard Snyder from the embassy, all, all that type of stuff. There's a lot of that there. And uh, Cuban-related things as well. Um, so that's going to finish now, which which I'm really happy about because I've been doing it for since 2018 when I started with Harry Livingston's archive. And uh, then uh, I started with Malcolm's in uh Feb 2019, and so what? It's now well, what four years, and um, although there have been times that I uh, had dead moments, but I'm telling you what, I kept the days numbered on uh, on a spreadsheet, and it's shocking how many uh, how many weeks, months I've actually been doing it, uh, scanning it all in. But uh, no complaints here because um, it, it was. It was to me is the best book on JFK that I've ever read. It's just basically Malcolm's archive, just what you can what's all in there. There's a lot of subjects that I really don't have care anything about. I don't care much about the CIA and all that stuff. It's interesting and I read it, but it's not for me something to research and dig into uh, obsessively as such. And that's the the other thing was that. Malcolm gave me access to his entire archive, so the old stuff that he collected back in the nineties. That was all there as well. And that was more than what is available online. 
so that's that's the beauty of it of 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 his, of his papers there's a lot of stuff that is released in full but doesn't have an online presence at all and i've got a lot of material from the archives that he basically scanned in 10 15 years ago 20 years ago and that is basically now uh it's either reclassified or it's just not available or it's whatever but you know we made it available so uh, it's now for people to see that's that's a huge chunk of the actual archives because if you look on the riff sheets and you see not online it basically means that malcolm's malcolm's materials of that particular document is just the very first face of that document uh being uh, online being available online as such and there's loads there's just there's there's i've done about 150 to 160,000 pages and i'd say at least 20 or 30 percent is uh not more probably is not online as it has absolutely no other on online presence as such so that's the beauty of it when you say not online it means not online it means that, um, well, I think that's a really broad swipe at the term because what it means basically is that that particular document doesn't have any other online appearance as such. At best, it can be mentioned in the Federal Register. And that's, Federal Register is just a document with RIF numbers. There's thousands of RIF numbers in it. Now, so it is acknowledged, the number is acknowledged at best. But like to actually look at the document, like say like, oh, it's available at Mary Farrell or at NARA or, you know, or Black Vault. There's absolutely no presence of that whatsoever. So that's the beauty of Malcolm's archive, because at first I didn't do checking RIF numbers, but two years ago, something like that, two and a half years ago, I started doing it. Because I thought I'd need to save myself some time because what's the point in scanning things in that are already online? So then I started looking and then I found out that there was tons of stuff that wasn't online, had absolutely no presence whatsoever. So these are documents that have been released, but they haven't been digitized. So, and that's my main complaint with this whole Biden la di da and the documents because everybody says, you know, I know I understand Jeff Morley and I understand all the others, what they're trying to achieve and all that. It's all fine and dandy, but the stuff from the nineties that were released after the ARB stopped that like after 1998 and in the early two thousands, that stuff, it's nowhere to be seen online, nowhere. I mean, it's been released, but it just hasn't been digitized. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, there's answers to when, things like even on the Mary Farrell site that I was asking some of the ARB members about, and there's no file afterwards. There says like, this person requested for this, they got that. Where's the rest of it? I see the document letterhead, but where's the rest of the document? The pages that give me what I want that I clicked on in that letterhead, and that's where I want a lot of things to be public domain. When you said not online, I'm just hoping like that doesn't mean it's in it's in his archives, but it's in that Google link or whichever, because I want the public to be able to see this information. I think it should all be public domain. I get people want to write books and stuff. That's fine. You can still do that. But there's a lot of like you got to buy my book to find out. And it's like, what the fuck is that? I hate to say it like that, but even the Mary Farrell site I have problems with, they give you five free searches and then you have to sign up for a membership. And I go, well, how do you expect people to 
get the information and get to know it. They have to pay you for it. And I get it. Every The world's tough. I get it. Make money. That's fine. But I feel like this is a little bit more important than you know, charging for this. Like there are certain things that should be just listed. I tried checking riff numbers on Mary Farrell's site and I found a couple. Archiving is an incredible thankless task. And if you talk to me around this time in 2018 about doing something like what I ended up doing with Malcolm, I would have said, fat chance, forget about it. I'm not going to touch that with a barge pole. But I ended up doing it because I saw the value in Malcolm's archive. Now, it's not just a thankless task. It was from an organizational point of view. It was an absolute mess because it was all over the place, the material. There's no like, oh, here are all my CIA files and here are all my FBI files. Forget about it. It was just, imagine a bulldozer just going in there, skipping it up, dropping it down on the floor, and then basically put the papers back into the folders and just put the folders together and then that's it. That's roughly what I had to, had to deal with. So I started to learn and educate myself during the process about all these people. I've never heard of William Sturbitz. I'm going like, ooh, what? And, you know, all these so-called CIA names that I'd never heard about. And, I mean, I'm, my, my knowledge went as far as Morales and... Uh, um, Richard Helms and things like that, but there were other people. And then you start like, oh, all right, okay, yeah. And then I start to see the connectivity because Malcolm found had a lot of correspondence like between the HSCA and the CIA. And then you start to get all, and then slowly over the course of the years, this whole thing starts to build a picture in your head. And then you have, and then you talk about customs, and then you talk about missing documents, and then you talk about the Secret Service and the medical stuff and so forth. And you get a really broad, much broader education in, in, in this whole thing on a higher level uh, than ever before any book could do. But that's why I said earlier, it's the best book I've, it's the best book I've ever read. It's just a bit open-ended, but uh, that comes with the territory. Um, I'm about to say, do you care if it is open-ended? That's kind of like the whole thing is like any aspect or narrative you want in the assassination, you can get. Like despite destruction of documents, there's plenty of documents that will let you choose whatever the hell you want. If you want to believe the mob did it, the CIA did it, the random guy from down the street who worked at a shoe, sh yeah, a shoe store. Yeah, that's why I don't, I don't get involved in any of that because you can talk about that till the cows come home. It's, uh, forget about it. It's all so speculative. Tell me why he went to the theater. Why? Just why? And why did the cops say he found him with a shotgun? That's in a video where the cop states to the press on like the day after the or the day of the uh, arresting him at a theater. Like he had a shotgun on him. And then one dude breaks his amp ankle tripping over a seat where I'm like, can you work for our police force? How much running are you doing on a daily basis to twist your damn ankle? And they arrested him in a balcony. And then they That's about Paul Bentley. Paul Bentley sprained his ankle. There's just Paul so Bentley much. He's the guy with the cigar who comes out of the uh, Texas theater with Oswald when they take his picture and he's right next to him with a cigar in his mouth. Like, look at me. I've got the guy. Boom. Just like that. Just posing for it. Paul do Bentley. You, do you think that he was going to make it out of that theater if things went maybe the way it was supposed to? Like, it doesn't make sense to me how his gun worked like 30 minutes before well, to kill. You Sydney. know what? This morning I was thinking and going, what's the most suspicious thing Oswald did? And that's like going to the Texas theater. Yeah, no. I mean, just from a common sense point of view, okay? Go home and take a dump. You just killed the president. <laughs> the president is shot. 
And now I know he wasn't a conversation starter. He was somebody who, who would speak to you after you spoke to him first. And you can see that really well in uh, his interview he did in New Orleans after that whole DRE thing. And he was basically filmed as such. But the Texas theater, by him, by going there, this is like the most suspicious thing because normally any other sane person would just go home and say, or call home and say, listen, such and such happened. Do you know, blah, 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 this, that, and the other. And there's none of that. And that's really suspicious. I mean, a lot of, I mean, I'd say Oswald, Oswald stood on the landing while it was all went down. But that whole escape from the TSBD about 12 to 15 minutes after it happened, going into the Texas theater, getting picked up in that Nash Rambler and then going to the Texas theater. Yeah, that's just, that's just fishy. That smells. So that's my thing, you know? I mean, um, I know I I know they mentioned the pocket the um in his pocket there was the 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 ticket ticket stub half a ticket stub it's where spies meet and I know people always say that when they talk about the theater theaters where spies meet and stuff like that I'm like yeah but is there any other supporting factors besides like the idea that spies meet at a theater I get that it's like an intelligence thing I understand that I think that is plausible for sure but it's just like I've heard statements. I've looked at the theater specifically, and I've looked into some statements. And one guy said, "Is this is what you're doing to the?" And then he he said, "This is what you're doing to the blacks." And stood up in the theater and said something like that. That comes from the lips of one of the guys, and I don't trust it, and I don't say that's fact at all. But it makes it really damn hard to understand who the hell Oswald is throughout this thing. And there's so many stuff. I don't know, you know, what's true. What's I mean, the, obviously they didn't find a shotgun on him, but you can't explain the pistol. I didn't think he was supposed to make it out of that theater alive. The gun was tossed. Oswald said it himself. He said it to Gus Rose. Then there's a guy called George Applin. Although I haven't, I really haven't like dug into the Texas theater and tip it. I mean, because I thought the other stuff was more important because my works were based on prayer man, basically. And then, but then it just got out of hand. Um, Yes. Well, there's there's some evidence for uh when I wouldn't say I don't I don't agree with prayer man I think you know that and you've told me well tough shit um (laughs) but there's a video it's I think it's the PBS documentary that they made and they had two people from the TSBD that were there and they both said at separate times they said that Oswald came up to us before when the motorcade was going through and said that. What's everyone doing looking outside? And they all turned and gave him the answer. The president's coming to town. And in my head, red flags just went off. I go, that's the thing that's going to draw the most suspicion to you. You guys don't have like cell phones. So this is a newspaper event for sure. And you have the whole like president's coming to town. Everyone go outside and get your cameras. He knew what was going on. So that I don't know if they added that in the documentary to make it seem even more like Oswald was very suspicious. Let me tell you something why I just think that whole story stinks. Oswald was not a conversation starter. He would not walk. I mean, every time when you read about Oswald, Oswald only says things when he's spoken to. That's when he talks. Because every time he's been talked to a loner, quiet, sitting in the corner, reading, reading the paper, this, that, and the other, always being on by himself. Yeah? 
So for them to basically say that he 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 started the conversation, I'm going. Uh, I'm not so sure about that as such, but you know what? It doesn't really matter because Oswald, when you go through the evidence with regards to what Oswald did from 12 o'clock, you know, everybody does a really good job in distancing themselves from, say, 12 o'clock and Oswald. That half an hour from 12 to 12.30, Oswald's unaccounted for. Nobody knows where he is, what he's doing, and so forth. Everybody, every, everyone says that. Nobody has a clue. No one. Yeah, loads of people see him. And loads of people say that it's all around the 12 o'clock mark or 10 to 12. Bill Shelley, Love Lady, Eddie Piper, a lot of people. And then you have this gap. And that's the gap that really interested me because I was always like, you know what? What's going on here? What's happening? And then I had to go into the interrogations for that to find out what was actually happening as such. And before that was the second floor lunchroom encounter. And I never expected that there was so much evidence around, and especially with the interrogations, because I don't think anyone has really done a proper investigation into that ever before. Somebody will say May Russell, but May Russell, that was really like, that could be put on one or two pages. And I, in the end, had about 350 pages of the stuff. And um, there is a lot of... Um, stuff that I had to dig into that I didn't want to dig into. So like the latest chapters I did, the fingerprints, the palm print and the nitrate test, I was like, oh, I don't want to do this. But because it led me to a belief of, well, how do I say this correctly? Of establishing a bigger picture. And I'll, I'll, I'll throw it out right now. Based on my research, but what I've done, and the alleged arraignment of Oswald in the middle of the night, around 1, 1.30 in the morning on the 23rd for the killing of the president, was based on absolutely fuck all, because there was absolutely zero connection of the murder weapon with Lee Oswald. Now, I'll make this really simple. I'll tell you this really quick. First of all, the Heidel ID. The Heidel ID and the order of the Heidel weapon that was sent to Dallas is not discovered until Saturday morning, the 23rd, around six, between six and seven o'clock in the morning at Kleins. So they don't know anything about the Heidel ID. Then the Heidel ID itself. I've written a big piece of that on uh, on my on my website, and it's also going to be part of the book. And I'll tell you this, also in a nutshell, when it comes to November 22nd, the Dallas police and the FBI people that worked that day in that office, bookout, posty, had absolutely no clue on a Heidel ID. In later documents, they say that the Heidel ID was on the table with the rest of the evidence in the office right next to where Fritz was interrogating Oswald. Well, I say that's rubbish because G. 
Jim Hosty went into that room and took notes of all the evidence as such. There's not a word of Heidel in there. Oswald was interrogated four times that day. There's not one mention whatsoever about the Heidel ID. You know when the Heidel ID is, is being mentioned? At about 11.30 in the morning on the 23rd, as part of the first interrogation of Oswald. You can see it in the Fritz notes. You can also see it in James Bookhouse report. So that's the Heidel ID. It's, I'm telling you now, it's a Fugazi, the whole thing. The only trace of a Heidel ID comes from military intelligence who call up the FBI and say, hey, we've got something on a guy called Lee Oswald, AKA Alec Heidel. But deeper, sorry, deeper investigation basically shows that half of the material that was in that report from military intelligence is all based on newspapers and so forth from the defection to this, to Russia and so forth. Now, the problem is that there wasn't any current um, evidence regarding Heidel and uh, Oswald. Now, the problem is this, is that when the Heidel ID doesn't exist on the Friday and only appears on the Saturday with the client's order, when on the 22nd at 8 o'clock in the evening, everyone knows the footage of Carl Day with a rifle above his head walking through the corridor. He's basically going with the rifle to Marina Oswald to show her the rifle. Marina doesn't recognize the rifle. Had she done that, that would have been big news right there and then. Like, Your wife has recognized the rifle, blah, blah, blah. There's none of that whatsoever. At nine o'clock, right, they come in and start taking his fingerprints, his palm prints, and doing nitrate tests. Okay? Now, here's the big whammy, and this is part of my research that I've done, is that I started to study the pictures of the dog and pony show these boys did. Let me just, can I just present and share? Yeah, hold on, share screen. And, um, sorry, been a while. Why don't you squint a little harder? Oh, okay, so there's... Right, this is in room 317. And um, we've <clears throat> got Johnny Hicks here, JB Hicks. We've got Pete Barnes. This is um, in the background. We've got uh, Richard Sims. And this guy with the, with the pencil near his mouth is uh, Faye. Oh, God, I forgot his last name. But he's also a detective of the DPD. Now, as you can see here, there's a palm print in this on the sheet of paper. And what they do is they come outside, they go and show it, but they do it one by one. This so, uh, right, this is outside in the corridor. This is in the elevator, the palm prints, and here in the corridor, and all the press photographers are basically snapping away. Now this set is all about the palm print. They got the goddamn guy from Honey, I Shrunk the Kids showing off Oswald's trunk. <laughs> so, and what I did basically was investigate and try to find out how many sets of fingerprints and palm prints there are. 
And so what I did was, let me just go in. I started, for instance, this shot, I started to look at the positions of where these prints were pressed, because what you're looking at is a five by two formation of squares where basically the people put their fingerprints in, <laughs> rolled it. Um, and I started comparing this. So I started to look at these, but then at the same time, I also started looking at these. Okay. And then I basically started to figure out what's what. And I can tell you the following is that they did three sets of fingerprints and I think two of palm prints. And they also did inkless sets. Now, inkless sets, let me show you that quickly as well. Is that from history collections or the Texas history yeah, thing? Yeah, some of it comes from the portal. Some of it comes from the portal. Yeah, portal of Texas history. Now, these are inkless paper. sets. Yeah. And these are originals. And that's another thing I tried to find out because the question was, where are the originals? So, and this became uh, quite a quite a mission. Sorry to 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 figure out, and then I found out that the originals are on a yellowish paper, um, and I found out that basically the evening when the prints were taken by Hicks, they were taken upstairs, but they were picked up by Vince Drain. So here's the problem. The real issue is this. All the palm prints and all the fingerprints that were taken on Friday evening were taken to Washington. None of those copies from the 22nd survived inside the Dallas archives. So that's the thing that I, by investigating what's available at the Port of Texas history and what the National Archive has and what Malcolm had, and I started to look at it. Plus, I started to compare the positions of all these fingerprints compared to what was available. Then I can tell you that other than those pictures of, of these fingerprints, there that's the only media representation you have because they are nowhere else to be seen in any of the archives um such because the fbi and they just were not seen again but what happens next is that on the 23rd um in the morning, when Oswald's being processed and he basically has his mugshot taken and all that, which they hadn't done all day, um, they fingerprint him again. And there's a lieutenant called Carl Knight who does that. And if you look at the Texas Portal of History at the, the website, the, um, the originals are bang tidy they're there that you can see them etc these are original prints quality's good and so forth this that and the other um the hsca starts to investigate as well about this trying to find out where are the original sets we can't find anything what's going on and then they find them 
rather embarrassingly by some assistant guy by accident finds the fingerprints in a folder um you know and th this is how this is the problem because the, the originals that were taken that night they just aren't seen again the only originals that are visible and accessible are the ones that uh were taken on the morning of the 23rd then there was another thing there was uh rusty livingston who did a book uh jfk first day evidence I'm not mistaken and um in that book is an inkless set of prints that has absolutely no other representation anywhere in any archive whatsoever. And it just looks to me that uh, he took that set uh, with him. This is the set in question. Uh, inkless set as well. Um, I compared this one with the J.B. Hicks uh, name print on, on, on the top right um, because uh, the easiest way was to figure out because I put that against this one and you can see that the J starts between two S's whereas uh, what is it here this one starts after the S's so the other one was starting around here so these are different sets English sets um, so he must have taken it uh, at the evidence locker and uh, took himself a nice souvenir. There's plenty of talk of the backyard photos being taken uh, for souvenirs uh, by others as well. So uh, some evidence obviously uh, got pilfered, disappeared. This is a this is a good example of it. Well, just to have like a, I would say, I, I wouldn't say a Warren Commission take, but would it be possible that they lost the fingerprints? It seems like Dallas police was very bad at their jobs. Well, they, they lost the brain and they lost many <laughs> other documents. So, um, you know, I mean, uh, there's, there's, there's quite a few things that have been lost. Um, Malcolm can give you a real good story about that. Um, yeah. I mean, it's possible. I mean, I'm mislaid. I mean, you know what? I don't mean to implement or say like, oh, it's nefarious and it was rubbish and this, that, and the other. No, it has a much bigger consequence to it. What I'm getting at now is that if you don't have the fingerprints, then you can't compare them on the rifle. You have to retake fingerprints as such. So there is a period of time. Now, then you get to the palm print because the fingerprints, they were rubbish. You know, they had them near the trigger guard and they were rubbish. They, they could not use them any shape or form whatsoever. So the, it's the so-called palm print underneath the barrel where the wood stock was on and protected. That's the bit where they basically say, that's what Oswald, Oswald's finger palm print is on there. So that nails it. Well, there is the issue with the palm print in the sense that Lieutenant Day claims that he told Vince Drain that there was a palm print underneath the barrel and it was protected by the stock. So that's why he didn't ring it into cellophane, cling film, like he did with the trigger guard, apparently. Whereas Drain says he never told me that. Whereas the FBI... Uh, I think it's Sebastian Lantona. You take the whole rifle apart, everything, they can't find anything either. 
Well, I think it's you that told me that Sebastian Latona took when he took the rifle. He didn't bring it right into evidence of the police headquarters. He was missing for a couple of hours. Yeah, oh, that. But, but the fact is, is that the whole thing gets taken care of about seven days later. On the 29th, the report starts to come out. Yeah, we got this palm print and it's sorted out and this, that, and the other, blah, blah, blah. And they had nothing but uncertainty. Now, the other day, I found out that Henry Wade, on the 24th, in a press conference, made mention of the palm print underneath the barrel. And so, which is cool because that is, for me, the first... Uh, public utterance of 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 them finding this 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 thing, because here's the problem, Robbie. You can't if you don't have the connection, and they didn't have the connection at at, at, at one o'clock or one thirty when they arraigned arraigned Oswald. Yeah, there was no connection whatsoever. Idel didn't exist. The ID didn't exist that day. The fingerprints wasn't good enough, and the palm print wasn't good enough. And then they do the nitrate tests. Yeah. And then there's the question whether they did the nitrate test before the fingerprints or not, because I can show you a report that states by Elmer Boyd, I think, who says they did the nitrate test first before they took the fingerprints. Well, if you do that, the nitrate test, as it says already, nitrates, Ink has got nitrates as well. So if they do the fingerprints first before the nitrate test, that basically messes the whole thing up. So then you've got nitrates all over your hands. And then they do the nitrate test on his cheek, which was never, ever done before inside that department. And it was negative as well. But those results didn't come in until uh, afternoon of the 23rd, early evening. That's when they basically managed to get the results back as such. Main thing is that at that point, at when Oswald allegedly was arraigned, because I'm really saying allegedly because hardly anyone knew about what was happening, but quite a few law enforcement people have said that that happened. So it's very hard to say, like, well, I've got five or six guys who, you know, talk uh, at the back of their necks. Um, so let's just assume that it did happen, but it's really badly documented as such. And uh, that they had absolutely nothing on Oswald at that time to tie him to the rifle. And uh, that's, that was pretty significant. And that's why I did those articles, and they're going to be part of the, of, the, of the book, hopefully out in a few months' time. So, uh, yeah, that's that. You've done great work on it. I remember some of the stuff that you were mentioning um, in your first episode. That's how I knew about Sebastian Latona. Um, and plus, I mean, even proper fingerprints on that weapon as well, too. I mean, yeah, I showed you the video before we rolled onto this, which was that they were destined for fingerprints. Nobody's wearing gloves. I mean, if you get a proper identification, they had to find it on the inside of a stock of a barrel on a stock of the rifle. So, I mean, I, that's suspicious as hell. But the best part about Ruby killing Oswald was the fact that they didn't need to worry about his legal rights as a human being because he was dead. They could just do whatever they wanted to. I mean, fabrication of evidence to convict. I mean, look at – oh, God, I'm going to blank on his name again. The guy who had a huge like conviction rate. Is that Wade? That is Wade, right? Yeah, and it was like almost – it's impossible. He was 48 uh, death penalties, and he convicted 47 of them. Like it's just ridiculous. But then you got Bill Alexander. 
yeah, who's in that room, in and out all the time as well. He's part of the searches in the house. He went to the house of Joe Molina. Uh, you know, Bill Alexander was an assistant DA, carried a gun, yeah. And then you've got Jim Allen. Jim Allen was a serious right-wing guy who um, got quite a few death penalties as well. He became a judge and threw out uh, loads loads of stuff that should have been let through but he just refused to cooperate as such um yeah it's just um it's just really really odd about um these guys um, you know the 60s it's a total different time it's 60 odd years ago um well i mean there's still you know, manipulation of evidence today when it comes in i mean polygraph tests Polygraph tests, for instance, weren't exposed until 2014 as being junk science by the Innocence Project. And you can even hear on the tapes in 63 of Hoover and Johnson talking back and forth. And Hoover said, yeah, shouldn't, you shouldn't trust those polygraph tests. They don't work a damn bit. And um, that's back in 63. So that means how many people were wrongly convicted on a polygraph test because they wanted a narrative to fit? I mean, Dallas police back then was highly corrupt. I mean, the aspect that the Warren Commission included that Ruby didn't know any Dallas police. And it's like, well, how the hell did he get in there dressed up as a reporter? Yeah. He had all he the knew, reporters. He knew, they knew him all. This is the worst part of the whole thing is that all these people claim, oh, no, I barely saw him, this, that, and the other. They all knew about him. He was frequenting that office, bringing in donuts, coffees, whatever. <sighs> Give me a rest. I just want to say, show you one thing. There's a little video. And I think it was Dennis Moore said who posted this. And did you share this the sound? Was, it doesn't. I don't think it's got sound. Okay. But basically, what it is. Now, what you see here. Didn't that, Dennis Morissette post in the fucking education forum saying the deserved death of Lee Harvey Oswald? Oh yeah, no, yeah, no. But, okay, hold on, hold on. So here, uh, two fingerprint fingerprint cards because he the way he was holding that in, in in the still pictures he had them just behind each other and he was holding them up and it just looked like one fingerprint card so about a year ago i go i get this movie and i'm going oh my god there are two cards there's not just one but the problem was let me start the thing from the beginning the problem was i couldn't see the second card so see it goes to the right and I was like, oh, mate, I don't need this. I need to know what's on that other card. And then I thought, hold on a minute. Maybe there is a picture. And then by accident, I found a picture in Malcolm's archive. And I was like, bingo. This is, like, this is the card that went to the right of the thing. So I managed basically to be able to differentiate and found out that there were two cards at play at that time. Whereas at first I thought, oh, it's just one fingerprint card as such. But both those cards, gone. They're definitely gone. Um, I love how your brain went, I needed to know where that card went. My idea went, I needed to know what that guy's prescription for his glasses is. Because he must have some fucking horrible eyesight. <laughs> uh, you know what? I don't have it on me. There's another story. There's basically the story of um, Paul Grudy. This is our guy. Um, oh, he's got good. He's also in the movie. 
the man who killed Kennedy. He's interviewed in there. There's, the video is on YouTube. And he basically says that he saw law enforcement officials go into the morgue because that's where he worked. Um, <laughs> of course he does. I was going to guess that. I was going to guess. He looked like a fucking funeral director. And take Oswald's fingerprints. And he complained about that he had to, they had to clean off his hands again afterwards. And they put the blame on the Secret Service or the FBI, but I think that's wrong. I think uh, Grody uh, knew that it were Dallas police because there's a fingerprint set that is dated November the 25th of Oswald. And there is um, evidence of Dallas police going going in there. That's in the Rusty Livingston book as well, where they basically describe that two of them went down there, the, the morgue, and took his fingerprints as such. The reason why I say like it wasn't the FBI or the Secret Service is because all the copies of the Secret Service and the FBI that I've seen at Mary Farrell, they're all the same set. It all comes from one set, and that's it. There's absolutely no... What that would be no. What's the point in game? What, what the game when the local police can just take these fingerprints and then share them? And you know that would be. So I think um, he either covered up or uh, he uh, he was just saying like, look, I'm going to keep these boys out of it and make it look like federal boys did it instead of the local police, because there's absolutely no evidence of uh, the agencies like the Secret Service or the. FBI actually uh, doing this uh, as such, whereas from the police, we do have the copies. And on top of that, the, uh, the witness evidence from uh, the Rusty Livingston book was basically state that they took uh, fingerprints on the 25th. I still don't know why, but it's possible that maybe they got the rifle barrel out and make and go, yeah, let's put it back into who knows? That's what they do in the, in the Stone film. And I thought for once the Stone film was speculating in the right direction. But I mean, I was like, nah, you know, that's possible that they took the barrel in and just to make sure that there was a partial print on it. So now that's conspiracy shit. I mean, it, it, it sounds, I mean, that sounds likely. I mean, it's not that difficult to do when you compare it to the number of things that have been proven when it comes to documentation uh, that know, we have. Just one one thing you mentioned the bus ticket earlier. Now the bus ticket was in his shirt pocket. Yeah, you can miss that, but not six revolver bullets. I know. So I say the bus ticket is cool. I can understand that that it's missed. Now we know that Oswald was searched in the car. Can you take this guy off the screen? I'm getting some fucking freaky vibes off this. He looks like a guy from the Adams family. <laughs> <laughs> By um. Paul Bentley and in the car. And um, that's when they got this bill fall out. And I can understand that they didn't see or feel that bus ticket as such. Or did, you know. Um, but then there's Charles Truman Walker, who in his HSCA uh, report set interview said that he searched Oswald again real good just before they left. So they dropped him off in the office. And then he said he searched him. Now you think, okay, cool. But then 
Oswald goes into interrogation for about hour and a half. Well, he arrives at Dallas Police just gone two o'clock. The interrogation with Fritz and Bookout and uh, Hosty ends at about four, four or five. Oswald is going into the first lineup with Helen Markham. And Hosty goes into the next office door and goes to the evidence and stuff like that. And then while Oswald is waiting for the lineup, Detective Richard Sims and uh, Elmer Boyd search him again, and one of them finds the bus ticket in the in in his in his shirt pocket. But on top of that, they get six bullets from his from his pants pocket as well. And I go, "How the fuck do you do that? He's been searched twice already. Yeah, what? You never thought that somebody would feel on his front pocket?" From his, from his pants and go, hey, what are these lumps? Feels like bullets, mate. Yeah, let's pick them out. So, and that is just to basically make it look like Oswald had the gun on him. I don't, I, I absolutely do not believe that they found six bullets in his pocket. Absolutely not. Do you, you know, I would say that Bentley and Walker never frisked him or did such a shit job. I mean, it's standard procedure. When you arrest somebody, you frisk him. Okay? But no, we're going into an interrogation for an hour and a half, two hours. While I have six bullets in my pocket. Yeah, right. I think we talked about that on your first episode, too. I mean, you make that's a very great point. You can't miss six bullets to it. Either someone didn't pat him down the first time. And, I mean, you, you bring up the example of the bus pass. It's flimsy. Did you – when? Because when I had Tom Samaluk on, I asked a question that you told me to ask, which was about the hosting notes. Yeah, it was good. That was good about the Fritz notes, where it came from and how it, how it happened. So that was really cool. I'm really happy about that. And uh, I think I'm uh, linking to it now uh, in my book. Um, at, at the did exact you get the moment. answer you wanted? I felt like I didn't really get the answer you probably wanted. No, you did. Because I didn't need a name, but he just basically, he was clearer than he could ever be before. Because until then, this was just shrouded in mystery. And um, I thought, this will do. This will do as well. <laughs> it's still annotated on the screen. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> no, I don't have the picture on here, which is a real shame. But. You know, as you can see, he's here with a tin with a tin of uh, wax. Ah, it's a bold move to have such a fedora in a police station where everybody's wearing cop hats. But don't I tell you, I've got another picture from the, and I don't have it in this collection. It's really pissing me off. There's a collection from the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. And you can look into the tin, and the tin is empty. I mean, it's empty. It's got a brush in it and the ruler, something. But there is no wax in there whatsoever. It's completely empty. I don't know what that's supposed to say, but I just thought like, hmm. I mean, it was a real dog and pony show, the way they were um, 
coming out one by one. The first one coming out with the palm prints, then the fingerprints, and then the last, the paraffin test. I don't, I have not seen any pictures of the paraffin cast. I'm not saying that they weren't taken, but I just, I haven't seen them. And then I, later on, I found out that before they did this dog and pony show, one of them went actually upstairs with the paraffin cast in a bag and dropped them off at the lab. And that's all I know. Do you think it's as simple as them going out one by one because they were still trying to create things and trying to turn it into more of a show? Okay. Nine o'clock in the evening. They're trying to get the whole media on their side. I tell you what, right? There was no justice that weekend because they leaked everything. Everyone was yapping. Bill Alexander was quacking all the time. Fritz was on camera. Then all the other detectives that are wandering around, quick question here, quick answer there, this, that, and the other. They were just quacking. How many? And on top of that, you know what? These cameras were allowed. Look at this. This is looking into the door of room 317. Now, in the background, you see a state trooper, and there's a door next to it. That's Will Fritz's office. And the other office where you can see Justice of the Peace, David Johnston, in the background. Can you zoom in on that guy in the background? So this guy's a state trooper, and this guy's David Johnston. I recognize him. He's like biting a pen or his thumb, like watching all this unfold. It was a justice of the peace, and that's where Oswald's evidence, his IDs and, and all this stuff was laid out as such. Um, you know, it's I, actually, there's a lot of pictures that are shot through the window of room 317. And... Um, it's really interesting what's actually, you know, you look at one thing, certain officers arrive or people leaving, like Bill Frazier leaving with Gus Rose and all that, Lenny Bear Mandel. But also at the same time, um, see people go in and like all these happenings and everything. There's a lot of that stuff that's been photographed as such. Jim Murray uh, from Black Star, he, uh, he did a lot of these shots and uh, just kept on taking pictures of people that are sitting inside because there was only like... A desk, which you can see like on the left, those file cabinets, and on the right, behind the guy with the fedora, is a is a desk with a typewriter. It was quite a small affair, uh, space-wise, uh, back in those days. Now, there's a, there's a lot about the case that doesn't make sense when it comes to evidence. Obviously, there's a lot of things that we can prove that there's corruption or it's not a simple case-closed scenario. But do you think that a, a lot, like some of this stuff, like a lot of these pictures, to me, when I'm looking through them, not just the ones you've shown, but the ones I have um, and I've come across, they're so weird where – it doesn't make sense. It seems like everything is a little bit staged, and I think you can go a little bit way too conspiratorial, like some of the people that think that Ruby didn't shoot Oswald. That's a little bit out there. I don't want to touch that with a barge pole like you mentioned. Um, but there's some things. <laughs> I'll do you one better. I know someone who said that it was James Bookhouse who killed him, and I was like, Bookhouse was on the third floor, so – it's an intervention ah, ah. from God. I don't know. Um, but yeah. some of these photos are like really, really staged where I start thinking, I mean, is this like uh, Dallas police was corrupt? We know that. But also at the point of like, this is like the most that they had. Maybe they thought that they were trying to get some publicity. That's why we have statements from cops. One dude who speculated about a shotgun that Oswald had in the theater, trying to make it sound like it was really risky. And then even on the interview where the guy twisted his ankle in the balcony, his whole interview thing was hyping it up. Like, yeah, I'm a little bit hurt, you know, and he's really 
really hyping it up a little bit. So I kind of go like maybe they're trying to get this attention as well, too. And you mentioned about people making statements, like a lot of people kind of making statements about this as well, too. Who didn't make a statement? Did Hosty make a statement? I mean, did Hosty want to press as much as everybody else? I start wondering because Hosty is the one where that we get this alleged bombing threat to the Dallas headquarters. And he yeah, Hosty even said that it just said he was going to report it to higher authorities, but then he destroyed the note. Are we in a slideshow? What are we doing? Yeah, I did that. I just put the photo slideshow on the folder. Is that okay? Yeah, I like that. You know what makes the show work. Good job. Thank you, Bart. There's um there's a lot of evidence. You know what? I'm just actually surprised about the amount of evidence there actually is. What about no, me? Just... How surprised are you? I caught up since the first time you were on. Good God. Yeah, it takes, I still it know. takes years. This, this, this rubbish. Yeah, uh -huh. people don't have years. Like it's the worst part about not unredacting these names of documents um, that are still left or that are still out there because those people die. Then when they unredact the name and let you know who it was, well, all the questions that researchers could have asked are now gone individual stuff that could have pried into them more. You're never going to be able to ask those because the guy died. Uh, I mean, to an extent, I say, yeah, that's correct. Uh, I don't know why the Central Intelligence Agency is still hiding the stuff that's been um, it all points back that's to what been around, but I don't know why um, you know, Malcolm's pointed out really well about where things have disappeared. And then, then they hide behind things like um uh well the case is older than 25 years, so we destroy the records. And I'm thinking this is like the biggest murder case of the 20th century that you can of one of the biggest murder cases in the 20th century that you can think of. And you hide behind the by by behind policy like that it doesn't make any sense whatsoever um at the same time i'm also amazed about how much material there is how much there is to delve through how much you're allowed to delve through because as a european i can tell you that this whole thing about like bringing it all out in the open this that and the other but i had a lot more resistance in uh in the UK or uh, the Netherlands or uh, as such, if that were happening over there. Um, that's what Malcolm and I always surprised about, about the access. You have to work for it. I mean, it's not just like, you know, one day, but we'll probably be dead at that time when it's, you know, where it's just, and have that info at your, at your, at your disposal as such. Um, it will take a few more decades, uh, at least uh, for that to get sorted. And, um, but at least you can access it and my God, the mountain of, of material, it just takes a lot of effort to go through it. And Malcolm describes it. Malcolm looks like a real patient person to me, but even he is just baffled with the frustration he has to endure and trying to get all the stuff and stricter regulations. The amount of boxes or files you're allowed. You used to be able to do two trolleys. Now you can only do one. And now you can do about half the boxes that you could have before, this, that, and the other. 
And also, it's not like, oh, I'm going to go over here and say, I want this, this, and this, and we'll, yeah, we'll get that for you. We'll go behind. We know where it is. No, they've got to go through their own indexing filing system and basically find it as such. And then in the hope, but it's actually there because Malcolm also told me stories about stuff where it's supposed to be there, sealed, then getting permission to go and see it. And then it's just not there anymore. And that was uh, about 50 uh, Marine buddies of Oswald that were interviewed as such. And all those interviews just evaporated. Did, did you see the picture of him where he's standing in the background at the in the military lunchroom or whatever it is, and it's through a window? No? no. That some somebody came out and there's an article you can find at it and it looks a picture. He's just standing by himself. Looks like he's kind of looking at the floor, but there's everyone else around at tables and he's just in the back corner kind of. And I go, if you believe Greg Parker on the autism thing, I mean, that photo fucking proves a lot of that because it, it, he just looks like disconnected. He looks like like socially awkward, I would say. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, that's that's what I we haven't discussed this yet, but um... I was of the opinion that Oswald's character uh, has been studied. And I thought, well, if you're doing a thing on the uh, interrogations, then perhaps it might be an idea to look into his character and what he actually did with regards, what, what kind of kid was he or how did he behave, this, that, and the other? Do we have anything? Well, in 1953, he was a truant. He didn't go from, I think, roughly from October till January, 52 to 53. He did not go to school. And obviously, uh, in, there, is a, there are some reports, and he goes to a place called Youth House. And that's where they do psych, psychiatry tests. And they're basically trying to find out. So there's about three to four individuals who do tests with him and question him and write reports as such. There's a 33-page report uh, with a combination of reports. Some of it's bad quality. Um, and that basically explains that Oswald, who Oswald actually is. And it, I, I thought it was important to include that because uh, it really gives you an idea that this is someone who doesn't um, step up or step forward real quick doesn't volunteer, only answers questions when asked, doesn't doesn't volunteer his opinion or, you know, things like that. Doesn't start a conversation. You know, you have to talk to him. You talk to him, he'll talk back to you. Yeah, which doesn't make sense about him rejecting to get his fingerprints when they asked him. So unless they fabricated that. Because he said no to getting his fingerprints inked. Sorry, you mean the the, the, the signature? To get his fingerprints, to get thumbprinted? I read that on your article oh. when I was reading through it. They He said no to it. They said that he said no. Yeah. So that's just I, – I mean I don't know. It depends on how he said it. If he said it like quick, like a one-word response maybe. But I, I, there's so many varying accounts of who his personality is, like saying that he was – you know. and then we see the interview of him where he's talking about Castro. He's talking about Marxism or something like that, and he seems very – well knowledge, I would say, which doesn't fit what the Warren Commission said that he was like a loser type. Um, but it also doesn't fit the quick answer, simple type. I mean, I don't I don't know. I don't think he was outgoing and engaging in everybody. Like there's some varying 
personalities of someone using his name, trying to sell or go test drive a car. We know Oswald didn't have a license shooting at a firing range saying this is what I'm going to do to the president. I've heard many accounts of, yeah, so there's, there's a lot of stuff that I think that's the biggest thing for the public is trying to understand who he was. And that's like the hardest thing, because if you can describe who a person is, I mean, does he match any other past prolific? prolific serial killers or mass killers or shooters or anything like that of any of that sort um you know him having a good marksmanship degree even though i've seen statements where they said if he was they were in a lineup they'd want oswald to shoot at him whether they mean accuracy or how inaccurate he was it still wouldn't make sense if you try to pin him for the walker shooting um someone sitting still and i've seen the descriptions of oh the window and all this type of stuff the man you don't take a shot from your work it just doesn't make sense it's like shitting where you eat. I mean, it, it it's it's ridiculous. And then going and going back to a boarding house and then killing a cop and then going to a theater, it's the most weirdest thing ever. And I think from your first episode, you told me that he asked for permission if he could go. So it's not like he was flooding out the door. He just asked and they let him leave because nobody suspected it being him. I mean, I wanted to talk about this. I mean, you can stop screen screening if you don't have anything else. But no, it's cool. The second floor lunchroom encounter, this person mm -hmm. that said that they handed Oswald chains as the shots rang out. Is that? Swabish. Okay. Had to ask. Swabish. Complete rubbish. Just fake. Groden. Total fake. Now, Doesn't they, exist. They never, never found happened. a rifle on the roof either. No. Okay. Rubbish. I mean, yeah. There's, the thing is, like, you got to get to a point. You get to a point when you, when you start reading, you start understanding certain characteristics and methods. And in the end, we're all human. And if you believe, and you know what, the whole thing about conspiracy and cover. There's a few people that give out directives and everybody else just goes along with it and you know what and a lot of people go well dallas corrupts this that and the other would it would it have been any different in chicago or denver or new york or la or new orleans no it would you know that's how law enforcement was done and it still is we see a lot of it on Facebook and these videos and stuff like that about how law enforcement sometimes thinks it can function, but it doesn't. But that's a different story. But the the detectives were also were an elite group within the police force. Those guys wore those hats like a badge of honor. And Will Fritz was not to be messed with. Will Fritz sat in that office for decades. Yeah, his own fiefdom. He'd run the show in there. He'd run it. He said fiefdom. 98% clearance rate. How the fuck do you do that? You lie. Oh, well, that's maybe a modest ex way of expressing yourself in that. But I'd say like, well, they just beat the shit out of people. Get a confession. Or maybe do a Russian roulette or do whatever. I don't know what happens in that room, but, you know, 98% clearance. 
clearing two murders a week on average in that year in 63 when I looked at the figures. I was like, you know what? If they are that good, then every police force worldwide should implement whatever Fritz and his detectives did. They should, they should uh, tell, tell us about that. And then we all have a massive crime, crime reduction. I'm going to stop screen sharing because I got some questions to ask you about um, documentation and something that would be, like I said, public domain. A lot of this stuff should be public domain when it comes to information. Obviously, if you're writing a book, I get it, but I feel like easy access, you know, things that you've been able to do by uploading a lot of Malcolm Blunt's archive as well, too. What about people being, I guess, an act being passed for anybody that has documents related to the Kennedy assassination, whether it's in their basement and at home as well, too. I brought this up a couple of times um, when speaking like Larry Schnapp and things, but it's a danger because there is a fear. And I think I mentioned this on Tom Samalock's episode, which was, do you trust the archives? Um, you know, people don't like that. If you already mistrust the government, they're not going to want to pass over their stuff to something that's kind of like a national government you know, library of information as well, too. I think it should just be public as access online. You could find a lot of these documents online as well, too, but there's probably plenty that are in a basement somewhere that are just nobody wants to come. Many universities have it like that. Well, no, I've, you know, this is the thing. Since I've been involved with this paperwork, you start talking to like minded people and then you get to hear the stories. And then, like, Certain universities just want to want to get rid of the stuff because it's taken up way too much space. But there's no funds for digitizing, you know. So you know it's a real problem. Well, it's not just paranoia; it's also the amount of work you you have to put in to scan those online, and also. Well, I get, I now have a really nice scanner. It was given to me by a DPUK member. Uh, James Gay, and basically, um, it I do about three, four times more than what I would normally do. So, you know, the process has just increased big time. So I whack out anything up to a thousand pages a day, maybe about a hundred PDFs, all titled up, this, that, and the other, already stored, ready, all done. And, um, so that's really nice, and that helps. And I just also you have to have a mentality for it to to want to do that. And on top of that, you've got to say like, okay, you know, I started doing this archive with only no with knowing that I only had four or five months to do it, because the property where the stuff was at was going to go, and then that stuff, all the paperwork was going to go into a container and be sent to the ARC in the states. And so this is what, six, this is, is about a year before this whole COVID thing kicked off. So when I started with it, a year and a bit. And then what happened then was that it wasn't sent. It was kept in a storage space. And I found out later. He just told me so, like just off the cuff. Oh no, it didn't go. And I was like, oh, well, it's still here. Yeah. Well, then I'm gonna finish it. And I ended up doing it. And 80, 80, 85%, 90%, I've done with my iPhone. I just stood there and held my phone above the document. <laughs> Adobe scan, 
as one of them. I started using all these scan apps. It costs like 10 bucks a month, something like that, or you get a yearly subscription for $80 or whatever, something like that. And, um, you know, and then I got, and then, and then I was given the scanner and I was like, oh, my life is so much more easier. And this is what the researchers should do that have stuff or anyone that's got paperwork digitizing. Get you one of those scanners and it's just a sheet fed scanner. And I do what, 50, 60 pages, boom, just put it in and it just goes. And then at the end of the ride, I've got a PDF that I can just write the title in and boom, job done. And it's there. And then I can upload it to Google Drive and it's for everyone available as such. And a similar process to what I did with my iPhone, because then I also, by the time I was done with the document, it was copied to me as an email and uh, and uploaded on uh, Google Drive as such. Um, but, you know, it's a lot of work. Well, you, <laughs> I'm glad I'm going to finish now because, you know, it's been too long. Because yeah, it was only meant to be five months. We got hundreds more podcasts. No. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I've got like, I got to a point where I just went, you know what, this is good fun. And also I use this to rest my foot after all the operations that I've had on it. Um, so, um, you know, I, I made a good thing out of a bad thing, so to speak. And uh, it was worth doing it. And if, and it was worth doing it to share it, but also because of the information that I got, because I'm thinking like, would I have gotten all this from the archives? You could have been really good at like pickleball or some bullshit, but you picked the Kennedy assassination. I'm proud of you. Now I just got to injure your foot in some type of soccer accident. I mean, I, I, I keep, I don't talk in my, my, my social circles. I don't talk about this, this, this stuff at all because, Oh, who did it? Oh, who shot him? No, I don't know. Hell no. 90 seconds after the D that was done and dusted. They were gone. So that's that. End of debate. So um, so let me ask you a question. Now that you've been in it for, for about nine months, God. 12 months. Nine yeah? months. Nine months. Online forums. No. We ain't talking about that. Go I don't on. go on that shit anymore. <laughs> Fuck that. It's a mess. It's, it's crazy because when I read it, it seems like a lot of people go, we're just rehashing old stuff. And then I see the kind of the purpose of it, which is like if new people come across it, like myself, I've never seen the old stuff, so I don't know to go look back. I mean, there's over thousands of pages of documents or uh, postings about different various things. It's just interesting to see how far they – like even when I post an episode, I don't agree with every single person I have on the show. That's not the purpose of it. If we, if you, I think mostly I was balanced in the beginning, but now I kind of side more obviously towards the conspiracy stuff. So I don't really care about the who and the why anymore. I just kind of care about what verifies some things for me. If you focused on the mob, let me ask you some questions about the mob, about Ruby's connections and things, but I'll get lit up for that. Oh, this person believes the mob did it. They obviously haven't done any research. And I was like, well, if you're so fucking star spangled information booked then please tell me who did it. And then they start going into like this long thing. And then you see someone comment. Nobody knows the truth, but me, Lee Harvey Oswald wasn't killed by Jack Ruby. He was killed by a man who looked like Ruby and happened to have his license in his pocket. I'm like, Jesus H like I get it, but I also don't know. Cause there are some things I'm really balanced in my conspiracy thinking. Um, I think that there's plausible things for a lot of stuff. You know, if you say bad police detective work, a lot of things, but there's also things I can't explain. I can't explain why you would take a shot from a building 
on the sixth floor where you work and you got a job there a month before. I can't keep in the factor of you got the motorcade running late. You know, I'm not trying to debunk my own stuff, but there's a large amount of things that can be just human error. Obviously, I mean, an investigation, the Warren Commission thing, if you criticize them, people will just go, you know, defenders will say the Warren Commission did a great, fantastic job. I go, an investigation is done by people and people are known to make mistakes. You know, don't put their career or their resume or whatever they have listed credits as a sign that they can never make a mistake. You know, it's, the Warren Commission didn't investigate much. Yeah. It was the FBI that was doing it and basically reported it to the Warren Commission. Well, the secondary committee, I think the main member of the top one, Alan Dulles, or whoever had like 6% of the interviews compared to, you know, everyone else had lower than that. You know, it was mostly done by the secondary committee. But the whole purpose of this is like all this, like tacking the Warren Commission, the criticism against. There should be criticism. The HSCA proved a lot of shit they did wrong. It's, mentioning the thing you mentioned earlier about uh, Sebastian Latona carrying the rifle and then going right to Marina, they proved – the Warren Commission stated that Marina identified the Harvey Oswald's rifle, and that's what they used. The HSCA in their volumes too proved that she couldn't identify the difference between a rifle and a shotgun. There was no use to show her the rifle back then. There's no use to show it to her now because it's not going to get us anywhere. That's in the volumes too. I showed that to Posner. So when you already are able to look at the most – the latest investigation, which is the HSCA, and see how much they prove that that was wrong, and you saw how much the HSCA was limited, on that basis, you just go and say there's obviously more here than a case-closed situation. Yeah. Oh, interesting. But, you know, you it, you you've got to be – what's that? So what do you want me to say? Fucking Carlos Martello no, did it? I don't uh, know. You know what? You can talk about this subject to the cows come home. It really. Oh, to the, to the end of time. That's the thing about this subject because it's so massive. There are so many people, individuals involved. What I do, just because I do Oswald's last 48 hours, I've got 120, 140 people that I'm looking in. That I read their statements, what they did, their pictures, where are they, what were we doing, this, that, and the other. More, definitely more than 120. I wouldn't be surprised if 140 or 150 people. And, but I just try to get to the bottom, the bottom of it. And I did a fair bit when it comes to documentation before I met Malcolm. But Malcolm is just basically. Is more than just a cherry on top. It's the Sunday topping as well, because Malcolm basically gave me access to documents that I never heard of before, never thought they would exist, and so forth. It was a massive eye opener because <clears throat> originally I went there to Malcolm to work on the Harry Livingston archive, and I did. He gave me bags full of audio cassette tapes that I digitized, and then videos and then all of a sudden the folders started coming out and i basically uh started going through that and by accident i just went to the back room and i saw his archive and just some folders were open and i found a report by will fritz on uh during the hsca and i was like i never knew that they will fritz blah 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 and then i found the hoshi document which is without a doubt the cherry on top of basically was outside watching the presidential parade. The statement as such is a pre-report. And that was just a find that I was just like, I can't believe it. And then I went, 
if I can find this, what else is there? Well, when it comes to that matter, I didn't find anything extra, but there's a lot of other things that enabled me to dig into things. Like the fingerprints, I did part myself, but the other part I did based on what the documents that Malcolm had. Malcolm had, you know, a good inch thick of paperwork just on the palm prints and then the nitrate test and then also on, 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 on the fingerprints and youth house, which I just talked about earlier, same thing. It's just, there's like, oh, I can write a story about this and, you know, decent story, four or five pages and uh, a lot of interesting and a lot of leads. That's what Malcolm's uh, archive um, has allowed me to do. And uh, I, I'll admit I got caught up into it a bit more than I should have been, but uh, at the same time, it's given me a wealth of knowledge. And I'll tell you what my biggest problem is, is with my book is the amount of leads and links I've got in it because I'm just going to batter everyone to death with with evidence <laughs> that's just there. And that's just, for me, by looking at all that evidence, what's the story that's coming out of it? That's That's what it comes down to. I mean, all the other people, the conspiracy theorists and so on, they base their thing on too little information. If they had read more of the stuff, their opinion would have been a lot more nuanced. You don't get like, well, the CIA And I'm like, no, really? Where's that document then? Show me, because I haven't found anything. Could there have been people that were affiliated? Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised because that's a small, small group environment anyway. So, you know, those people, they know anti-Castro, this, that, and the other. Sure, no problem. I'll, I'll get you that. But the specifics, there's, there's none of that, nothing. And that's why you can you can keep on speculating until whenever, you know. But you got to just say at some point, okay. And I wanted to do this because I saw the a fair amount of evidence and I was interested when I started really messing around with prayer man in the middle of 2013 and 2014 and I had no clue what the evidence looked like but I had a lot of interest uh, in it and then I thought you know what if you want to do this right then you need to try and find everything that's available possibly available that you can get your hands on as such and that's why I went for that for that subject Plus, again, like I said in the beginning, not many people were actually doing the TSBD um, as such. So um, I've got a, I thought, yeah, that's it. I'm going to go for that. That's a really worthy subject to dig into. But that it was going to take this long. I, uh, no, I appreciate the, I appreciate the work that you do. And next up on the show, we'll be speaking with Woody Harrelson about his dad on the knoll. Uh, now, um, no, I seriously do appreciate the time you gave me to talk again on my show. And I also appreciate you in the beginning. I mean, you gave me guidance as well, too. I know I was walking somebody through from the beginning. Um, you know, I was very new to the assassination. I'm still new to it. Uh, I don't want to be a researcher at all. I'm not, I'm not a researcher. But you've been able to walk through someone from the general public about some things. And I've tried to catch up um, through a lot of documentation and stuff as well, too, and speak to as many people as I can. And, you know, if it wasn't for you thinking about giving the time to someone to be able to talk about your work as well too then i mean i got it recorded so people can listen to it and they can take the steps as well too to find it in the right direction and then all the 
blog posts you have as well too and stuff you have listed on your website that is very detailed um explaining issues um that raise red flags for people as well too and you know that's anything the public can ask for that's a great public service right there if uh i think a lot of people don't really believe the official narrative but bart give me enough of your time brother man it's always a pleasure talking to you but where can people find your links my man well, my work is at prayer-man.com. Um, I posted the articles that we discussed earlier, uh, the chapters. I posted them up there. There's going to be another article on Youth House within the next week or two. I've got a little bit too much on my plate. I'm really trying to get the book uh, out the door before I can start messing around with other stuff. Plus, I'm doing all the scanning. Um, yeah, that's where all my work is. And uh, articles on uh, Facebook, also Prayer Man. Uh, there's, a, there's a page there, and uh, I frequent on some of the other pages as well, but I don't have a lot of time for social media these days. So, uh, and I don't, and I read very little. I mean, for a, for, for a year like this, 60th, there's not a lot of good stuff coming out. That's That's one thing that really irks me. There's just very, very little original new research or areas um, that delved into. Now, I'll tell you what, anyone who's listening and feels, feels have a bit of an itch, go through the Blonde Archives. Have a look. It'll take you somewhere. Could be anything, but there's so much to go through and go, hmm, I wouldn't mind checking that out because there's, there's, there's so many people involved in this whole thing, especially just in Dallas itself, just... There's hundreds of people that you can dig into and companies and so forth. The law itself, lawyers, DA, Henry Way, this, that, you know, I mean, it's been written about, but, you know, I'm just, that whole justice thing. If I wasn't doing this, this, this bit of Oswald, I probably would have looked into that, how uh, justice was applied and dealt with and all that. It's still, it's still something that I wouldn't mind knowing, wouldn't mind knowing more about them. You know, I'm quite interested in that. And, uh, but yeah, come to my website, drop me a note if you want to. And um, the book will probably come out in a few months' time, an electronic version. And then the paper version will probably come at about end of summer, August, September, probably a few months before. Um, and then I'm going to take a break at the end of the year because after the 60th, I'm um, enough i'm uh, gonna knock it on the head um although there are ideas and proposals to do something but i just want to have a break and away from any documentation and uh jfk uh, stuff i mean unless it's promo for the book and all that of course i'll be there but the um just the actual research i definitely need a break from that's that's for sure i just need I've got five, I've got about five bags with just documents filled up uh, with documents that I can use for further work, and then I've got another twenty with just medical stuff. So, because there might be an idea on doing something on the autopsy photos. Me and William Law have been thinking about it already. We've been talking about it for quite a while, so I might just dig into that, but not until some point next year i just want a good break away from it for at least six months just take it easy you know? well 
I'm going to link all your links in the description. And I appreciate you for doing the podcast. Thanks, everybody, listening to this episode of Out of the Blank Podcast.